glad you were here this morning. And uh, we realize that on Mother's Day, that, uh, let's be honest, some of you children were dragged here. Um, and, and that's okay. And if you think that I've developed this message just because you would be here, you would be totally wrong, but not completely wrong, I guess. Because uh, we're doing something that I, I think the next three or four weeks that affects everybody. It affects your whole uh, outlook on life. And therefore, I believe it's important. Uh, we're talking about what do you think you, uh, what thought do you get when you look into a starry sky? I grew up in Southern California, so I rarely saw a starry sky. In fact, some days the smog was so bad, I rarely saw a sun. We knew that it was there because it got lighter than at night, but we could rarely see it. It was some sort of a disguised uh, light light bulb in, in the sky. That's what it was like for me. But here in Colorado, where we have 300 days of sunshine, uh, I get to see a lot of starry skies if I can just stay up. Now, as I look at that, and I look out at a starry sky, and sometimes a meteor shower or things like that, one of the things that comes across to me is the sense of awe. Uh, the vastness of the universe. One of the, uh, uh, one of the great, uh, writers of our time looked at the psalm I'm about to read to you, and, uh, he, he didn't see just awe and a vastness. He saw a great beauty as he looked at the sky, and he called it God's handmade jewelry. Isn't that beautiful? And so, also, as we look at it, maybe we get a sense that there's order to it, that there's some sense of design behind it. So, that, you know, we look at that sky and we see it's bigger than us. As humans, then, we look at the sky, we see something that's bigger than us, and we have thoughts about ourselves. We look at ourselves and we feel small and powerless and ignorant and in comparison to a universe that's so expansive, so incomprehensible in size, we might feel somewhat insignificant compared to the beauty and the vastness of the universe. And we might also then begin to ask if the, you know, if space is so big and we're so small, we ask the big questions of life. Who am I? What am I doing here? Where am I going? Those are real questions and, and ones that we should ask as we see a beautiful universe. Uh, Dr. Fred Dewey, I call him doctor only because I should. Uh, I don't think they made it this morning, but uh, Dr. Fred Dewey uh, taught uh, a career of organic chemistry uh, at uh, uh, Metro State. And... Uh, he was saying that he was asking those same questions about the age of 19. So understand that this guy was smart. He had many honors throughout high school. He was both an athlete as well as a scholar. But when he was looking and, and thinking and asking those questions, he said, I came up with this idea. I'm going to study science for the rest of my life. I'm going to be looking at those stars. I'm going to be looking at molecules. And in the midst of all this, I have no real purpose in my life. I have no idea what it is. He got it later. Uh, as a teenager, myself, I was about ready to begin my senior year of high school. And all I know and all I remember about that, the beginning of that year, is my parents kept sharing with me these questions that were important to them. 
What are you going to do after you graduate? What are you going to study? Where do you want to go to school? What career do you want? And my dad would say, do you want to take over the family business? I knew the answer to that one. No, I don't want to take over the family business. Well, I really had no clue in how to answer them. And I, too, was asking, what am I doing here? Why am I on this planet? What is the purpose of my life? That summer, I went to play volleyball on a, in a co-ed volleyball game. And the reason I went was not to play volleyball, but to meet girls. So I had some purpose in my life. And, and at that meeting, a guy gave a 10-minute talk. Just a short 10-minute talk. And it's a talk that I did not expect. I did not say, come, volley, come play volleyball and hear a talk. But I went to it, and uh, though I didn't expect what he was about to say, it was a subject that I desperately needed to listen to. I was spending, during the summer, my weekdays working for money, and then the nights playing basketball, and the weekends body surfing. And this man described to me a life without purpose. And I thought, money, basketball, and surfing, that's plenty of purpose. But he described life this way, as an ongoing, weekly, empty cycle. What he said was, you get up in the morning so that you can go to work and earn money. And you earn money to buy food and put a roof over your head. So you can go to sleep at night and get up in the morning so that you can have some food to go to work. And he went on and on. Most of the 10 minutes was just that cycle, repetitive. And he was claiming that maybe you are missing as a high schooler some purpose in life. Some, something that takes you beyond just living. And I had to admit that I was alive, but I wasn't living for anything. Well, I was. I was living for what I had to do so that I would have the freedom to do what I wanted to do. But was there anything bigger? And I've got to say this. Waiting for the next wave can be just as boring as, as sweeping my father's floor. They can be just as bad, just as meaningless, no purpose in any of it. So he directed me to a relationship with Jesus Christ, saying Jesus gives purpose to everyone. He gives the promise of heaven in the next life, but he gives meaning to this life through the connection that we can have with God. Well, I bought in, not knowing where it was going, in some ways, I still feel like a novice, you know, 55 years later. But it could not be any less meaningful than the meaningless life that I was living at that time. I want to say this. Probably a boy even younger than me, about 3,000 years ago, was out looking at a sky. Now, this guy had the, um, had the assignment as the youngest child in the family... To be looking after the sheep, that always went after the, uh, that, that responsibility was always given to the youngest child. And so you prayed for more children, you know, more siblings who would be younger. Well, he was out and he, uh, his name was David and he would become the most celebrated king of Israel. But one night, under a sky as a shepherd, making sure that the flock was safe, he asked this question, and makes an approach to the purpose of life, not from the human perspective, but from the heavenly one. And I encourage you to look at this boy's ancient perspective. And if you can find anything better in your life, or for any life, 
go for it. But I don't think it's better. Let me read what he wrote. I'm reading from Psalm 8, and I'll go through the whole passage, but I'll just start with the first three verses. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Again, starry sky, probably a a rock for his pillow, looking up, uh, nothing's wrong with the sheep, so he gets to think. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Because of, uh, because of your enemy to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. I won't finish the sentence because it's one of the conclusions he comes up with. But there he is and he, he he's making this conclusion that You know, uh, humanity maybe has its purpose, but God has made the universe for his purpose. Now, we want to show you a video on purpose that I forgot all about, okay? And it's right here in my notes that we start with that. Shame on me. Can you show it now? Turn down the lights. My purpose is to make big mistakes. When was the last time you stopped and evaluated your life? I mean, really took the time to decide what the most important things are. The sad truth is, most of us don't do that. We just live our lives day after day. But the truth is, life is a series of choices. And the things that we choose are the things that are most important to us. If we don't evaluate our lives and decide and clarify what's most important, we'll end up wasting it. The Bible says that it is the intelligent man who aims at wise actions, but the fool starts off in many directions. (laughs) If that's our gauge of how we're going to evaluate our lives, the sad truth is many of us are going to fall into the category as fools. But none of us wants to live foolish lives. We want to be wise. Therefore, we have to consider the words of Christ, who said that the most important things in life are to love God and to love others. In evaluating your priorities and clarifying what the most important thing is in life, we have to use that as our measuring stick. But we have to choose. God doesn't decide for us that we're going to have good priorities. In fact, Job said that we can choose what sounds to listen to and what taste we want in food, and we should choose what is right. But first of all, we must define what is good. What is good in your family? What's good in your personal life? What's good at work? That is how you clarify what is most important. Because look, when you consider your life, the question of whether you're going to waste it or use it, it all comes down to whether you've clarified what's most important. Because when it's all said and done, your life, just a dash between two dates. Life is a dash between two dates. David was looking up at a God who has no dash. There never was a time in which God was not, and never will be a time in which he will not be. That's why this perspective matters. You see, David goes beyond uh, human experience, and he looks for a purpose, not according to what other people are saying, but according to what God is saying as he looks at that starry sky. 
And the first thing that he begins with is God's greatness is available to all. You can't miss it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. You see, he looks to the creator to find a purpose for his creation. So when David is under that sky about 1000 BC, uh, he's looking there. You might say, well, that was, you know, that was... That's when we thought differently. That's when everybody was afraid of God. That, that time doesn't matter like it does now. I want to say it does matter. Whether you are a, a, a young boy living in 1000 BC or a widowed resident of the Rocky Mountain Village or you're a single person wondering if you'll ever be married or if you have a family and you're just running your heads off trying to keep up with everything or, or, or if you uh, are approaching an empty nest and wondering, what am I going to do with my time now? I want to say, no matter what season you're in, the best thing to do is to figure out, what's God's purpose? Why am I here? Does does the creator of the universe have a purpose for me, no matter what season I'm in? And what he, what it begins with is, God's name is majestic. In other words, God's nature, as you think of him as the creator, it's majestic in all the earth. Now, that's just not talking about matter, it's talking about people. It's majestic through through all sorts of things, but his name is majestic to everyone. So majestic, so clear, that even babies, it says in verse 2, uh, even babies are smart enough to conclude that God deserves praise. And as we enter into our next uh, political season, uh, didn't we just, aren't we still in the last one? Okay, but as we enter into our next political season, what are the chances of this happening? You turn on a Republican Party advertisement, and the advertisement buys one minute, one whole minute, to declare the virtues and all the reasons why Hillary Clinton would be a great president of the United States. What are the chances of that happening? Yeah, I'd say zero. I'd say zero. There'd be rebellion. Well, what this psalm is saying is the praise of the children stops God's enemies. Did you get that? As children praise God, it, 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 it rises up so that God's enemies don't have a thing to say about him. They cannot destroy him. They cannot belittle him. God's enemies cannot stop hearing the truth about him. That he is the creator. And they also must say nothing because if they say anything, they'll have to praise him. The words that we have described, that we have devised to describe God's greatness are ones like glory and majesty and splendor. And this is the best we can do because we are, we are limited to a human language. And yet they fall so short of depicting the greatness of God. He goes on though to say it's not just about God's greatness, but God's greatness includes telling us about our place in creation. Verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? Let me go to 5 and 6. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You see, before we understand what our purpose is, we got to know what, what our personhood is. Um, there are so many uh, other human philosophies that tell us about why we're on this planet. And, and, and you can listen to them. You can listen to a deist who says that God sort of wound up the world. He created it. But then he left and we're here all on our own. 
You can listen to an atheist who says, the reason you're here on earth, you know, the purpose you have on earth is just to display how lucky we are. Not just somewhat lucky, lucky to the 10th degree. Or you can listen, uh, you might say, to a a nihilist, because a nihilist would say, forget about purpose, there isn't one. Your purpose is there is no purpose. Or you can listen to a postmodernist who would declare, choose your own purpose, just live with it, walk around. That's all that really matters. Our place in creation declares that God just doesn't exist and he didn't just make us. And as insignificant as we may feel we are, it says, what is man that you, God, are mindful of him? You think about us, you have thoughts about us. And more than that, it's not just that you know we exist because you made us, but you care about us. It goes on to say you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. David is there saying, we are created and designated a special place in creation. We're the peak, we're the zenith of of creative power. We are his most intricate and beautiful and useful part of the entire universe he's made. We were made by God, but we were made with a purpose from God. So what is that purpose? We read it in verse 6. There is a design to us, one that we go back to that David could reflect on, one that even Moses could speak about, uh, about 700 years earlier than David. And this is what he says. By God's design, we were made to rule and care for the rest of creation. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. It's just not that we're smarter and stronger and more adaptable in an evolutionary way. We were specially made to take care of this planet. We discover and explore the entire universe for a much deeper purpose than evolutionary theory. God has always had deeper thoughts for us than we have for ourselves. And he's had these since the beginning. He tells us that we are a very special part of his creation and made for special work. Nobody else can do the work that he has made us to do. Our existence and our survival point to the God who has made us and purposed us. And we read that original purpose in Genesis 1.27. That we really are special and because we are specially created, we have a special purpose. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It is something that is a designation by God to be made in his image. As much as I look at giraffes, my favorite animal, and in wonder, how did they happen? Who had a mind that could understand giraffes? Uh, I have no idea. And when I see a giraffe next to a hippopotamus, I smile and giggle at God's sense of humor. You know, have you ever seen two animals so different and yet have uh, different living places, different foods? They're just designed specifically for their environments. Well, yet they are not told to rule humanity. We are told to rule the giraffes and to rule the hippopotamus. We have a special designation. Now, theologians have worked on this and they have two words, the the communicable facets of God's nature. 
communicable, meaning this is what we pick up from God. This is how we are like him. This is what he has given to us so that we reflect him. Things such as intelligence, things such as power, uh, uh, the ability to relate, all, all these things. But we also list the incommunicable facets of God. By that we mean things that belong solely to God. His great power, his knowledge, his presence everywhere, his eternal nature. So we, we do this comparison and looking at the stars, understanding how many light years that, that, that light took to get to us. When we look at the stars and we feel very small, we understand that we are directed and, and designed with many human limitations. And though we are limited, God still has great thoughts about us and great plans for us. Great thoughts about us and great plans for us. So if you ever wonder, why are you on this planet? Start with God. Start with a God who has no dash between the dates so you can discover his plan for your dash between your two dates. Let me give you some examples here. Many years ago, a renowned skeptic by the name of Bertrand Russell we know him today probably most, uh, not just by his writings, but he wrote a book that inspired the musical My Fair Lady. And he spoke these words in despair. He says this, Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And because he was a skeptic, he said, I have no purpose in life. Much later, in the late 1980s, Dr. Hugh Moorhead wrote 250 of the most influential scientists, philosophers, and writers of his day. And he asked them just this one question. Quote, what is the meaning of life? And from their answer, he wrote a book called The Meaning of Life According to Centuries' Greatest Writers and Thinkers. And here's what they wrote back. Some offered guesses. Well, you know, maybe. Others admitted, I just made mine own up. How's that working for you? Uh, and some confessed, in real honesty, I don't have a clue. And a few wrote him and said, by the way, as you do this research and you, as you write this book, if you come up with the answer, will you write me back? I'd really like to know what the purpose of my life is. Just a few years after him in the early 90s, uh, a, a Russian uh, by the name of Andre, a Russian novelist by the name of Andrei Bitov was writing in a subway in St. Petersburg. So it was after the fall because before that it was known as Leningrad. Um, but once the fall of the Soviet Empire occurred, they restored the names back to to uh, Christian names, Peters, St. Petersburg. So he's writing in the uh, uh, in the subway. And I, any of you been in a Russian subway? Okay. Uh, I just remember getting on and getting off. You either walked down about 250 steps or walked up 250 steps. I guess they hadn't yet uh, invented the escalator in, in Russia. So I remember just walking step after step, turning step after step after step. And I, I was told that the reason they're so deep was they became the bomb shelters in World War II against the Nazis, and they wanted them several hundred feet underground. Well, man, uh, just going and not getting out of or getting onto uh, a Russian subway is aerobic. 
I mean, you get your exercise for the day. So here is this man, Andre Bitov, 27 years old, 27, riding that subway. And this is what he says. On the subway, I was overcome with despair so great that life seemed to stop at once, preempting the future entirely, let alone any meaning. Suddenly, all by itself, a phrase appeared. Without God, life makes no sense. Let me repeat it. Without God, life makes no sense. And he was just coming through that, that 70 years of culture of, 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 of government which said you cannot speak about God. So he goes on to say, repeating it in astonishment inwardly, I rode the phrase like a stairway going out of the metro. And as I got to the top, I walked into God's light. The longings of the human race seem to reemerge with each new generation. Even the famous Greek philosophers would, would say, why are we here? And they would speculate. And most philosophers, that's what they do. We can trust human speculation. We can write a book about it, uh, just like Moorhead did. Uh, we can sell many copies because people are interested in the, in the meaning of life. We can retire on the royalties but still not understand what is the ultimate purpose. Is there anything transcendent for our existence? We can speculate hypotheses and mere guesses from limited human minds. But I believe that instead of speculation, God has given us revelation. That even a young shepherd boy looking at a starry sky could come to the right conclusion. That he understands that by revelation, it is something that originates from God who communicates through human beings. And that's revelation. In one of the great uh, letters of Paul to a group of Christians in the Turkish city named Colossae, he writes uh, verse 16 of the first chapter, reading from a famous uh, modern paraphrase. And he says this, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below Visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Everything. And everything also means everybody. We make the outrageous claim that we are creatures designed and deployed on this planet with a great purpose from our creator. A great purpose for all of humanity but more than that, a great purpose for each individual. But that purpose is discovered as we attach ourselves to the Creator. We place our trust in Him and we daily follow His Son, Jesus. Uh, you know, as, as we are little children, we don't really ask about the purpose of life. Um, you, you might be like Fred Dewey who asked when he was 19 and went on to get a PhD. Or you might be me, much smarter and more advanced than Fred, and ask when you're 17 uh, but not get a PhD. It, it doesn't really matter. Somewhere we start to think for ourselves. We, we separate psychologically from whatever our parents were thinking and whatever our parents told us. And we have to start making conclusions. Why am I here? 
In my day, uh, you know, the, the baby boomer generation, we made experiments everywhere. And I came after, you know, in my 40s and 50s, I met these friends from high school and college. And they would say, I tried this and I tried this and I tried this. And how'd it go? It didn't work. What are you up to? I said, I, I don't know. I've just been following Jesus for the last 30 years and it works. Who are you following? You decide you're going to just do it on your own? The problem is, is that as older adults, we become disillusioned. That didn't work and that didn't work. We're sort of like Solomon saying, vanity, vanity, nothing makes sense. Except Solomon didn't end there and neither do we. My purpose for life will be discovered through my relationship with God. God reveals that he has made us for a reason. And when we're able to admit that, we're able to walk up the stairway from a dark tunnel and find ourselves in God's light. So he ends that message, oh Lord, our Lord, the same way he began it. How majestic is thy name in all the earth. We're going to spend four weeks on purpose now into, in, into June. And as we sp- spend those four weeks, here's what I'm saying. You're going to have an assignment each week. And here's your assignment this week. How many of you want an assignment this week? Raise your hand. Good, good, okay. Good, because I'm going to ask you to raise your hand after the assignment. Um, and, but, but should you decide to take this assignment, here's what it is. From God's revelation, not man's speculation, what is your purpose in life? I'm not expecting a word-for-word same document from any of you. Or from all of you. But from God's revelation, not man's speculation, what is your purpose for life? Now, I don't want to hear I googled it. Not that you can't find some good purpose on Google. I don't want to hear my friend on Facebook said this. I don't want to hear about a new song from Mumford & Sons or Taylor Swift or even something from John Lennon, my generation. I want to hear something from God's revelation that begins to describe your purpose in life. And then secondly, I want you to tell me. Isn't it amazing the many ways you can tell me? You can phone me, write me, text me, email me, befriend me. You can even smoke signal me or find some other way to communicate. Or you can tap me on the shoulder next Sunday. But what I'm asking is is that you would not end this week without some reflection of what are you doing here? Why are you on this planet as you live out the dash knowing that God has the perspective where there is no dash. Why are you here? Let's pray. Almighty God, awestruck is the best way I can put it, awestruck that a young shepherd boy could look up into the heavens and ask those questions. And as he wrote down later in life, those words, those thoughts that he had. He is reflecting on what all of us are thinking. Am I just living or making a living? Am I just watching out for some children? 
Am I just here to make some contribution to some company for the next several years? Or do you have thoughts about me and care about me in ways that have caused you to declare to me, I have plans and purposes for you that will knock your socks off. Lord, I pray for the person who has never really considered that there is a supernatural, a divine purpose for humanity's existence. I pray for the person who has never thought, not just for the human race, but for each individual, through the relationship that we can have with the Father through his Son, Jesus. I pray for that person to be open once again, not just to be open, but to declare, Lord, you have answers that I could never dream up on my own, that no philosopher could ever construct. Lord, you have thoughts and purposes and meaning to life, and I'm missing out. And for those of us in whatever stage we're in, through faith in Christ, Lord, may we go back and evaluate At this stage, in this season of my life, what am I doing here? And help us to live on purpose, your purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.